This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, KTC of the Blood Red channel. I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, feels like we've been away for a while, mate. How are you getting on? Yeah, yeah, a lot of football's being played since we uh, since we last recorded, hasn't it? So um, it's probably probably only been a week or so, hasn't it? But yeah, it feels like a long time. But I'm doing well, mate. Hope you are as well. Yeah, it has only been eight days, but in that period, Liverpool have played three times. Um, so we do feel a little bit out the pitch yet, a little bit behind times. Liverpool have played Everton, obviously. Uh, Wolves and last night played AC Milan. Um, so today's episode, we're going to briefly look back at those games. Not not the usual level of uh, you know scrutin- scrutiny on, on those games, but just ma- mainly the talking points and things like that, general feelings. And then obviously a look ahead to Stephen Gerrard, who is going to on field for the first time as an opponent. So that'll be a good one to preview. But just rolling it back to what feels like a lifetime ago, Dave. I'm sure you probably won't want to do this. <laughs> uh, obviously, you're a blue. But what was it like from from your perspective, um, Merseyside derby? You know how Liverpool played, um, what it was like to face Liverpool, I suppose, from a rival perspective, and um, yeah, just general feelings around the game. I'll be honest, there wasn't really any surprises at all. You know, it was kind of it kind of played out as as predicted. Um, you know, Liverpool dominated proceedings for pretty much the entirety of the game. Um, really commanding. Obviously, took a good early lead, two goals, conceded a goal. And, and in fairness, I thought <clears throat> for a short period in the second half, the game felt a lot more competitive. Um, or, I don't know if that's the right term, but certainly it felt like uh, it was not as easy for Liverpool. But... Um, I think it's from an Everton corner that the third goal comes. Mistake from Coleman. Uh, puts Salah through in on goal. And obviously so ruthless that you expected him to score. He did. I know people said it was a bit of a miss hit, but I think it didn't matter. It was always going to be a goal. Um, and then really from there, I guess from an Everton point of view, it was damage limitation. You know, 4-1 in another year is a pretty uh, dour uh, defeat but I think on uh, this time in the circumstances there was probably a little bit of relief that it was only that it, it wasn't you know a kind of repeat of Old Trafford 5-0 or, or you know something worse because it could have been you know Liverpool were very dangerous on the night so yeah on the whole Josh I'd say it probably went as expected uh, Liverpool played really well and were by far the best team yeah I was uh, I was really impressed with Liverpool actually I think it's it's probably the best I've seen Liverpool play at Goodison Park since I've been a you know a fan uh, over the years. I've, obviously, I flagged before the game that's generally a tricky ground to go to and things. And despite the form table, it's something that it's a place that Klopp's never really prospered too much as a coach. Um, but I thought from the off, Liverpool were just really, really focused, really on it. Played with a high tempo, one-two touch football. Must admit, I was quite surprised with uh, what I mean. I thought Everton seemed to to adopt a, f- a form of high press in, in in certain moments. It was, but it was like a, uh, I think it was quite like that Rangnick quote, where it's kind of like a little bit of pressing. What is a little bit of pressing? A little bit of pressing is like a little bit of pregnant. 
Yeah, I saw um, green all sweet, something like that, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was really poor. It felt like the front line was pressing, but the defensive line wasn't. So what you had was this ridiculous scenario where you, you had maybe four plays in their own defensive third and three or four in the attacking third. And I, you know, it was an absolute gift for Liverpool, just completely play through it. And then you've got about 30, 40 yards of space to, for... Uh, the, the clip in particular I'm thinking of uh, was Henderson, where he receives the ball and there's not a man near him. And Evans' defensive line is uh, somewhere kind of on the edge of your own box almost. It was, as you said, used a Rangnick quote was perfect example there. Um, it was really poor. I don't know what I don't know what what the thinking was behind that because uh, I don't. I really don't. Yeah, if you look at Evans' underlying numbers this season, they've been far from a pressing side. And I wouldn't say Liverpool, the team that you think let's go and press. Now, maybe it was adjusted to think doing so might get the fans on board and, you know, might kind of put Liverpool on a bit of pressure. But know your opposition. You know, it's yeah, it's, it's just disheartening, isn't it, as well, when yeah. you get progressed beyond so easy. Yeah. I thought Liverpool broke through Everton's press so easy at times. Um, they were just overloading every time. It was so easy because there wasn't enough players there. The, the gaps weren't yeah. condensed enough. Yeah, it's not it's not a, a tactic you would associate with Benitez. And I think the way Everton kind of did it, the way they employed it, they executed it, I think that showed. I think it showed that Rafa's not a pleasant coach. He doesn't coach that sort of thing. Um so Josh, on that point, do you think uh, do you think that was a little bit of desperation? Kind of um, on his part trying to do something different to change the outcome. I'm not sure it was desperation, but I think it was it's the kind of thing I don't think Rafa would have done if results were going well, and if he was, and he's generally very, very good, by the way, at staying grounded and not getting too carried away with results and things. But it's felt like the kind of approach Rafa wouldn't usually take. Um, so maybe he could be influenced slightly by emo- emotion of his current situation at the minute. Uh, felt a little bit under pressure or whatever, but um, yeah, I thought Liverpool were superb on the day and. 16 shots to Everton's eight. And in terms of the expected goals, very impressive. Liverpool posted 2.1 and Everton posted 0.6. So you're looking at about a 2-0 win really there on a normal day, but Liverpool took their chances and scored four. Um, One player did one, well, two players won a flag actually on the back of the performance. Um, I think first we'll go with Sally. Obviously, I've just mentioned there, Liverpool took their chances. Two of those chances were Salah uh, finding the back of the net. And uh, I actually spoke to a Blue Dave on the back of the performance who was at the ground. I won't name him because you know him, actually. I won't name him. But um, he he actually said, as a Blue in the ground, it was actually an honour to, to witness Salah live. That was what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the best player in the world at the minute, according to many... Uh, I would probably agree with that on current form. I think you've um, done him a favour and not mentioned him. He <laughs> <laughs> won't be allowed back in. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, but yeah, I thought he was bright, mate. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he shined. Yeah, he, he, he is every week, isn't he? Irrespective of the opposition, irrespective of the um, the occasion, anything. He's just he's just in elite form. You know, almost unstoppable form, um, which kind of makes the whole. I guess this is why the contract situation is such a, a big talking point amongst Liverpool fans because um, 
you're probably looking at the, the best player in the world right now. You've got him on your books. You don't have to buy him. He's already there. You've just got to give him more money each week. Um, uh, yeah, we've already covered it, haven't we? That it's a compli- complicated issue because the increase probably has ram- ramifications for the rest of the squad. Um, you know, kind of creates a an imbalance in on the um, on what's the, uh, the weekly wage of the club, I guess. You know, across the board, but it's just so hard at the moment to to kind of not justify because the form he's in. Yeah, I mean, judging by um, Twitter, whenever whenever I've talked briefly about this sort of thing just general passing comments really just general conversation people are absolutely all over you when it comes to this sort of thing any sort of suggestion that goes against just paying what he wants and you will get ripped to shreds so i think i'm going to avoid it personally even though i don't mind yeah i'll welcome it i uh i would say because i know you're a little bit more level-headed with the discussion so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I suppose you could look at it. And I'm right in saying he's 30 next year, isn't he, in June? Is um, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So he is 30 in June. So there, there is always the, the possibility that, you know, if you give him a, another long-term contract on the 400,000 a week, that it does it does end up becoming a little bit of a, an issue in two years' time. Because... You know, is a lot of the the outrage being driven by the form he's in? You know, this elite form, and it's kind of this window where it's it's probably in his camp anyway. The best time to get that contract extension, asking for that money. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think it's great timing for Salah's camp when it comes to this sort of thing. He he is showcasing top form and absolutely no signs of regression. You know, based on all the games he's played so far this season for Liverpool, every game in all competitions, he's only blanked twice. And what I mean by blanked is no goal or no assist. But he's registered at least a goal or an assist in every other game. The only two times he's blanked was at home against Burnley and at home against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League. They're the only two two times he's not registered a goal or an assist in a game. So... He is absolutely elite at the minute, and um, he is probably Liverpool's best player at the moment. And I think the ways he's reportedly asking for for the grand a week, I think it is. He's he deserves. He he is without doubt in that bracket of play. If you look at what players are in and generally across the board in Europe, he is worth that without doubt. My big concern is. He, I don't think he's going to get that Liverpool. I just don't think he's going to get it. And I, and that's not because Liverpool are necessarily cheap or whatever. It's because none of his teammates are even close to it. And a lot of those teammates, the top ones, have just signed new deals. So you can't tie them down and then go and give Salah double what they're on. Because it's, it's just the kind of thing that Arsenal and Man United have done over the years and it just results in uproar, it results in total imbalances. Over the next couple of years, you have to cleanse the squad and, and bring the wage bill down by get by trying to shift players who you can't shift because they're on so much money. Um, so it's just generally a, a difficult scenario. I don't think any Liverpool player is on over 250 grand a week. Salah's obviously asking for four. And there's, there's ways around it. 
you know, you can, I suppose you can incentivize it a, a lot. And I suppose his base wage could still be 250, for example. But you incentivize it by saying, okay, if you scored 20 Premier League goals, you get an extra whatever grand a, a year type thing. Um, but I suppose it's just how flexible is Camper willing to be and how, uh, how open to those incentives he is willing to be. But, you know, I understand that he's, uh, he's he's looking at the situation and saying things like, you know, your financial value shows how much you're valued by the club and he is worth 400 grand a week in the grand scheme of things. But I just think from a Liverpool perspective, I, I, I can't see how he expects the club to pay him that, considering mm. what his teammates are on. Everything I'm saying is is based on what his teammates are on, because his teammates are, are on half that, and his teammates are world class. Van Dijk is the is the world's best centre half. Allison, in my opinion, top two world's best keepers. Fabinho, top two world's best DMs potentially. Thiago, ridiculous, you know. So it really is a tough one. I didn't I didn't plan to speak about the concept today, but it's a it's a real uh, puzzle, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, the the takeaway really is you know for people listening that you know talking as an individual yeah he is worth that but you've just got to look at it from a collective Liverpool point of view and that's where it muddies the water ever so slightly. Yeah, I mean hopefully the whole four in the grand rumor is just kind of like the starting point of negotiations from his camp. You know the way, for example, if you're bidding for a house, you'll bid well below the asking price or whatever, and hope to meet somewhere in the middle. Maybe they'll meet somewhere in the middle around 300 and, you know, whatever. I don't know. See where we go with it. But I do hope he stays, obviously. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. And the final player I want to touch on regarding the derby very quickly is Thiago. I thought Thiago was brilliant throughout. Mm. I thought he was very good in the derby last season as well. Uh, And I think this season was seen... Was, uh, not that we didn't last year, but I, see, I think this season we are seeing Thiago with a proper system around him, basically a, a full, a watertight system around him. Yeah, yeah, he's benefiting from more balance, I think. Um, his derby performance didn't come as a surprise because, as you just touched on, he was really good last time at Goodison. Uh, we did talk about him before the show for quite a few minutes, saying he could be a key player. Um and he was, you know, he's, he's playing really well. Uh, people starting to see what he can bring. And um, it is, I think, though, important that he's got the, the right players around him and the right system. I don't think he had that at times last season. He did look exposed. You know, people get a little bit defensive when you say he didn't look the best, but he, he didn't. He, he had he had issues at times, but he, you know, he looks much better now. And I do think the team is a lot, you know, we look at the team, it's so much better this year, a lot better structure, uh, more consistent players. Fit, you know, key players are fit. All this contributes, I think, to to being able to get the best out of these players. Particularly over the past couple of games, he's, he's looked really, really spot on. Um, very good at regaining the ball. Uh, his timing and things like that has been spot on. We obviously flagged last season as, as number of fouls and things like that. Um, but I'm actually writing a little piece on Thiago now for the newsletter. So uh, it'll be going out later today. So by the time people listen to this podcast, it'll probably be too late to get it if you haven't signed up. But do sign up. Um, so when it comes to Wolves, Dave, uh, was it a lucky win or was it deserved? So obviously the narrative was it was a lucky win and as it often is when you score the late goal, you know, last kick of the game stuff. Uh, so that's the narrative and I get it. But 
Let's be honest, on the balance of play, uh, underlying numbers back it up. I'm sure you'll run through them shortly. Uh, Liverpool did do enough to win the game. It just so happens that the goal comes via the kind of you know last chance saloon, but uh, they, they did do enough to win the game. Uh, and I think had, the, had that game finished goalless, it would have been a really frustrating draw for Liverpool where they would have been coming away thinking we've we, we done everything right there. There's not much we did wrong and and we've still not come away with three points. So um, to answer your question, Josh, I thought it was, despite the narrative, deserved. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a huge win now, uh, to, to pick up a 1-0 win. Last kick of the game. Another divocity going back the years. Mm. Um on the same day I think that Chelsea obviously lost. That's a that's a huge win. And uh, when it comes to being lucky and things like that, not for me. Uh Liverpool took seventeen shots and restricted Wolves to three. Wolves offered absolutely nothing in attack. Mm. Um they don't look good at the moment going forward, Wolves, do they? Well I it's hard because it's yeah, it's hard because I haven't I haven't watched them that much. Um, I've been most impressed by how they've behaved without the ball, without paying that much attention to what what they've been doing with it in attack and things like that. But in this game, I thought they were very, very um, maybe inferior is the word. They, I think they, they had very little belief that they were going to actually pick anything up from this game, and it was kind of just ten behind the ball at all times. Um, the expected goals. Highlights that Liverpool posted an XG of 2.5 and Wolves 0.2. So, pretty much Wolves can see there to, to not score. Mm. Um, and Liverpool should be scoring about two or three there. So, very much a deserved win for me. Uh, the, I think the only real threat that Liverpool had to deal with throughout the game was, was Adama Traore, who we know is just an absolute one-off. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he is crazy. It, it, there's been, actually, funny enough, Dave, slight links with Traore uh, for January for about mm. 20 million, I think is the figure. Um, yeah. Just what are your general thoughts on that? I don't know. It was a strange one. He, um, he does seem to get linked a lot because he, he has performances, uh, you know, where he, he causes a havoc and people tend to think, well, we could do really good in, in, a, in a better side. Uh, and I think... The problem is for me, I, I feel like I've watched them a lot now, uh, you know, over the past, say, two or three seasons. And sometimes you watch them and you think this this, this version of him is unplayable, like literally unplayable yeah, in terms yeah. of picking the ball up, the way he can progress his team up the pitch. Players can't stop him. They bounce off him. He can, you know, bypass two or three challenges. In that form, you think this player is unplayable. But then... I, I've, I've watched him, you know, two weeks later, and he's invisible. He's not there. He's making bad decisions. Um, I, I think of his general attack and returns as well aren't that great. Um, so I'd have question marks. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Do you think Klopp could get the best out of him? Do you? It's a really tricky one when it comes to Traore because he, like you've just said, he is such a weird, unique footballer. Um, and I think it's natural to look at what he offers and think, oh, he'd be, he'd be great for Liverpool. But you have to remember it's a totally different game when you when when you play for Liverpool. The style of play is so different. Um, you face some blocks as opposed to facing open space more often than not. I do think he is a very useful tactical tool 
to have. Um, say for example, we were facing a team like Manchester City, and we were we we were a goal up or something like that. If you've got say a front three mm. waiting on the halfway line of Salamani Traore, you, you are terrified as a defender. There, there's no doubt about that. So I understand th- that general perception, but then he he offers zero product. You know, his end product is, is almost non is his end product shocking. Um what's he on at the moment in terms of contributions this year? He's on none in the Premier League. He hasn't registered a goal, he hasn't registered an assist. Last season he started twenty eight Premier League games, featured in thirty seven of them. Two goals, two assists. Mm. Season before, um again, twenty seven starts, thirty seven appearances. In the Premier League, four goals, nine assists, and of those nine assists, I'm pretty sure they were pretty much all where he runs to the byline, crosses it, Raul Jimenez heads it in. <laughs> yeah. That 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 on repeat basically. Mm. And when it when it comes to Liverpool and Liverpool forwards in particular, Liverpool forwards are, are, are them those players who are just naturally uh, inclined to score goals even when they play bad, like a Jota, a Salah. Mane, those inverted major mm. threats. Uh, Jared Bowen, you could throw in that potentially, even though he's got a bit less output to his game based on his time at West Ham. But I think just Traore, just he just doesn't look like one of those. He just he's just not. Um, no. The only reason I think there's a glimmer of potential there is his contract situation. That's it. Um, I don't think he's had a contract this summer. In fact, he might be actually. I don't. I have to check that now. But if not this summer, it's he's definitely out of contact next summer. Mm. So as a result of that, obviously you you end up losing up less than his worth. So I do wonder if Liverpool will potentially look at him and think forty million for that, twenty five years old, give him to Jurgen Klopp. You know, did, yeah, his contract runs out in twenty twenty three. So this summer he'll have a year left, and in January he'll have eighteen months left. But that other than that, I'd be like absolutely no way. But other than that, 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 that's the only reason I see there's a, a glimmer of hope there that he could end up at Anfield. But I mm. think Liverpool can get better personally. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I suppose one one thing you could say is, although we've just been talking about his, um, his chance of creation, if you have a look at his like underlying expected assist numbers, not that bad. You know, that, that season where he got nine, it was 6.7. Last season, 5.4. Um, you know, they're not bad numbers, but... I think if you just watch him, his decision making is, is is pretty poor. You know, if you go beyond just the numbers and actually watch him play, um, a lot of poor decisions in there or not the best um final ball delivery and things. It's just I guess he'd have to fine tune his game a lot uh to come as this Liverpool side and have a true impact. Uh, I think he need more or at least an impact enough to justify the the figures that we've just been talking about, you know, forty million. If you look at what the impact Jot had, had with that. Would he be able to replicate it? And if not, would it be worth Liverpool investing that money? Probably not. Well, that's that's why I think it's not it's not one that I'm willing to absolutely rule out. Even though I do not think he's he's much of a Liverpool player. The reason I'm not ruling it out totally is because if his deal runs out in eighteen months, Liverpool could potentially get him for about twenty. You know, and and if that's the case, it's a bit more of one of those that you probably think about, if you know what I mean. And mm. 
you know, it depends what else is out there, how, how much Leeds are quoting for Rafinha and how much, you know, just all those players, who, all those inside forwards Liverpool are likely to be linked with. If you can get Stryari for 20, he's probably worth more than 20 in fairness to him. Mm. Um, so, I don't know, I still can't see, I'd be shocked if that if, if that materialises, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. Um. But yeah, we'll move on from Wolves then and we'll, we'll have a quick note towards last night. We don't usually touch on Champions League opponents beyond dead rubbers, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we don't dead rubbers at least, yeah. But if we do, we usually touch on them for the first game, and then when the second game comes around, which this was, Liverpool obviously played Milan twice now. Um we don't usually touch on it, but given that Liverpool have qualified, uh six wins out of six, which is extremely impressive. Uh I'm just gonna talk about the, the general Champions League overall and Basically, whether Liverpool can win it. Yeah, yeah, I think they can. Uh, and that's not on the basis of winning these six games, which I agree is impressive. Um, but we, in fact, we, I think we touched on this briefly recently, but the the main side that you're concerned about is obviously City, uh, Chelsea to an extent, uh, Bayern Munich. And beyond that, I think there's there's big caveats to the teams. It it kind of reminds me when we were talking about this group. You know, it was being labelled as a group of death, but uh, I was fairly content that Liverpool would beat most most of the teams. And I think they obviously beat Porto. So I expect them to beat Milan. Um, Atletico was a tricky one, but obviously you you wouldn't be shocked if Liverpool would win those games, and they did. And I guess to stretch that to a wider point. I look at the the remaining teams in it, the remaining threats for Liverpool, and I think City, yeah, but you know Liverpool have a good record against City. Um, Chelsea, you know, you'd still back Liverpool there, and then Bayern Munich are just always tough. But you know, if you think of like, a, I mean, who else, Josh? Can you think of anyone else there that you think is a, is is someone that to be scared of? Um, I, I would always well, want to bring the teams up. I would always want to avoid Atletico Madrid in the knockout. Not because Liverpool aren't as good as them, because and Liverpool have just beat them twice, I think, in the uh, groups. But he did get a man sent off in both both games. Mm. Um, but they're just a team I would just always want to avoid in knockout games, just because in it, over the course of knockout games like that, you know, 90-minute spells, they can just find ways to win. So I would like to avoid them. Obviously, Liverpool can't get them in the next round anyway. Uh, but no, I agree with you, really. But I think in the next round, Liverpool could actually get quite a tricky side, um, despite finishing top of the group. So as it stands right now, Liverpool can get PSG, Sporting, Lisbon, into Milan. And the rest of the group games will take place tonight. But as it stands, it will be, in addition to those teams I've just named, Barcelona, Villarreal, RB Salzburg, and Juventus. So that's not the easiest. That that doesn't look like the easiest uh, group of teams for for the. I think this is around the sixteen. Yeah. Um. So Liverpool generally get a relatively easy draw. Liverpool usually get Porto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got that one out of the way early doors this year. <laughs> yeah, that obviously can't happen this year, but. I think it's going to be interesting moving forward, but I do think overall, and I was 
a lot of people are saying it, but I do think it's true. I do think it's out of four teams this year. Um, and then slightly outside of those four teams, I would probably put uh, maybe PSG and Real Madrid on the same level, potentially um, below them even further. You've got like Juventus as outsiders, Barcelona as outsiders. Um, I also would like to throw in there, though, potential dark horses, Ajax. I'm I'm yeah, very intrigued to see how Ajax get on because they're the only other team in addition to Liverpool that won all six of their games, mm. scored twenty, conceded five, yeah, and they're flying domestically as well. Uh, mm. They went on a run a few years back, obviously, but I'm looking forward to seeing Ajax and how they get on uh, for the rest of the competition. Yeah, yeah, I can't see them winning it, but they have been really impressive. Um, you know, it looks like they've done it again in terms of bringing through a. You know, another quality side that can kind of outperform on the continent. Um, I'm just, I'm just having a look at their group now, actually. And uh, Ajax. Dortmund, Dort, yeah, Dortmund went out, didn't he? Uh, to, yeah, doing yeah, the same. Sport, group, yeah, Sporting finished third. second. Yeah, that's a stinker for them because Dortmund haven't been too too bad domestically this year. You know, we haven't been that far behind Bayern. I know they lost on the weekend to them, but. Um, yeah, not great for them now, is it? That's pretty poor, but uh, yeah, Ajax really impressive. And I don't know how good sport now this year. I haven't seen any of them. You know, I haven't watched any of them, so I don't know if they're gonna if they'd be a problem. You flagged them earlier, but I suspect I, it'd just be a Porto equivalent. Yeah, I'm just looking at their team now. To be honest, and I, I, I barely recognise anybody, so mm. uh, I, I can't envisage them being any sort of issue, despite no. their despite how good they're playing in terms of Liverpool. I can't see them being an issue, but and then when it comes to Ajax, obviously Liverpool can't face them in the next round anyway because Ajax finished top, comfortably top as well. Mm. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see to see where Liverpool go. I mean, I mean, the prospect of of facing PSG in the next round is is pretty real, and I think that would be very interesting, really, because two very different teams when it comes to just yeah. how to work as a team. You know, very very different and. Um, I do think in a game like that, I would like to think at least that the team of 11 players rather than the team of seven players is more likely to win. But it's a, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Well, um, I remember the meeting last year, uh, sorry, two years ago, was it? Where, where Liverpool met PSG. I think they were in the same group together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was when Tuchel was in charge. Yeah. I certainly remember the Anfield game. Uh, this kind of... I finished three two that night, and I I remember them thinking you can see there's there's basically two teams in this one team here. There's an attacking side and a defending side, and you know Neymar and uh, I'm trying to remember if they definitely played, but they had ne- Neymar. I uh, did Mbappe play. I can't remember. Yeah, Mbappe scored two. Yeah, yeah. So you had that, and then I can't remember who else was in there. It might have been Cavani, Di Maria, someone like that. Uh, but they still had this split that we're seeing now. And obviously, that's just enhanced more with Messi in there because obviously Messi is not expected to do those defensive actions either. So that's kind of been this ongoing problem at PSG before Messi. You know, a lot of people talk about it now with Messi coming in that they kind of they, they have this imbalance. But I think it's been a problem since Neymar's been there. You know, Neymar, then Mbappe, and now they've just got a fair player who get the, who's kind of relieved of all these defensive duties as well. Um, and for that reason, I think Liverpool would 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 come out on top over two games. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel.
Yeah, I think I don't think it's any surprise given that you've just said that that Tuchel was really, really obsessed with trying to get Kante to um to PSG while he was there. Mm-hmm. He's obviously excited to work with him at Chelsea, and he ended up getting into Sergei as an alternative, who's another who's very, very good at covering ground and working for the team and things like that, and basically carrying attacking players who don't offer much on the defensive side of the game. Um, whereas I don't think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, but I think when it comes to PSG, one, one surprising thing about the group stages, although we're kind of writing them off a little bit, if you look at their, their, their two group stage games against Manchester City, if those were knockout games, PSG would go through. Mm. Uh, they won the first game 2 0, and they lost the second game 2 1. Mm. So that would actually result in obviously City getting knocked out. I mean, it's hard to say that anyway because it remains to be seen how they would have behaved in a knockout game and how City would have reacted to knowing that, that, that information and things. But I suppose, given that, given that City are considered as amongst the favourites, I suppose you can't really rule them out. I mean, any team that's got a front three of Neymar, Messi and Mbappe, you can never really rule out really, can you? But I do think that in, in big games like that, with Anfield as well, playing a bit of a factor, um, I would like to think that Liverpool's, you know, all, all, one for all, and you know, all for 11 type thing would be too much for them. Um, yeah. But just, just looking at those teams I've just listed, Dave, as potential opponents for Liverpool in the next round, who would you not want to get most well, I can't even remember what they were now. Can you run through them again? So, yeah, as it stands, as I said, some of these group stage games still have to be decided, but as it stands, you have Juventus, Salzburg, Villarreal, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Sporting, PSG. Who would you not want to get? Um... I think I would not want to get PSG, I'll be honest. Well, I think for the reason that we've just said, you wouldn't be, you know... Ideally, with a team like PSG, because they're still a really good side, but you put. I think once you got um, down to what what would be considered, you know, the the best side, so maybe last eight onwards, and then you met PSG, I think you'd be satisfied. Yeah, I don't think you'd be that satisfied meeting them at the last sixteen. Um, but beyond that, Josh, I, you know, Juventus with Juventus struggling again, aren't they? Somewhere in their top six in Serie A. Um, into Milan, I can't remember how into Milan. And I know AC Milan. Let's have a look now, just so people know what's going on in Serie A. Juventus are fifth on yeah, 27 so. points, same number of points as Fiorentina. And they are seven points off fourth. Atalanta are in fourth, so that's a, that's in, a fair, fair gap. Yeah. Into the, the second, uh, but they've only lost one all season, point behind AC. Um, but you'd be, you know, I know it's different teams. It's not this straightforward. But you'd be thinking if Liverpool just beats AC home and away, um, yeah, comfortable. Particularly, yeah, and with it, what could you? Is it fair to say Tuesday night was a second string? Oh yeah, without doubt. I mean, you you had Salah and Manning in there and Allison, but other than that, yeah, everybody else was was well seated. Yeah, so there you go. Um, so you think, well, yeah, surely you're backing yourself to be. Into then if, if AC Milan are a better side than them at present or at least on par. So I'll be honest, Josh, there's some big names in there, some well-known names, but no one I think will, you know, that they could cause Liverpool big issues. Yeah, I agree. Um obviously the draw is I think it's Monday. So when we record next week, we, we should know who Liverpool have got. And we will talk about it then. Uh, so hopefully Liverpool will get a favourable draw, but regardless, 
whoever gets Liverpool will probably be more disappointed than whoever Liverpool get. You know what I mean? That's that sort of thing. Um, but we'll look ahead anyway to Aston Villa this Saturday. Uh, Stephen Gerrard has started well, mate. Uh, mm-hmm. Four games in charge, and he's won three of them. And the only game that he's lost has been against Pep Guardiola. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good start. You know, big impact, and you know, even that even that one that he lost against City, uh, you know, it was quite a performance wise anyway. Although obviously City dominated uh, possession, etc., like you'd expect, like they always do. Certainly, in terms of chances created, it was quite an even game on the day. Um, similar numbers in terms of XG and things, so um, didn't disgrace themselves at all. Sure, learned, learned a lot about the game as well. Um, and yeah, you, you look at it, Josh. You know, beyond the uh, emotional aspect of it, with Gerard coming back to back to Anfield, even if it he wasn't, you know, this Liverpool hero, and you were just taking them for face value as what Aston Villa are now under a new manager, you'd be looking at this one thinking it's not going to be an easy game. Yeah, I agree. Um... Just looking at their numbers now, so they obviously face Brighton, Palace, City, and Leicester. And the numbers across the games, all of the games are very, very tight. Villa, apart from the game against Leicester, didn't really post an XG in any of the games. Really, that suggested okay, they should win. Against Brighton, it looks a bit like a flip of a coin. Against Palace, it looks a bit like a flip of a coin. Even against City, it looks like a flip of a coin, really. In terms of expected goals, and against Leicester, they posted two, and Leicester posted one point two. So I suppose a little bit better in that department. But I think generally looking at um, what he's done so far, he I think he's obviously addressed the the defensive side of the game more than made Villa a bit more difficult to beat. And as a result of being better on the defensive side of the game, you just I suppose got a bit more of an opportunity to sneak a win type thing, and um, I think some of the goals that have scored, you probably wouldn't see them score again, um, and I don't think the, too many of them have happened on the back of Gerard's coaching, in, in a way. But the defensive game it is, I would say, a product of Gerard's coaching, and I think he's he, he's installed very obvious um, tactics that make it difficult. Specifically, one of the, one of the early ones I watched his first game in charge against Brighton, and it was very very obvious that the four three three he was using, which involves his two Salah and Mane roles, even narrower than Salah and Mane play, the whole team was just basically blocking the centre of the pitch, and it was basically a setup that essentially said to Brighton. If you want to move up the field, you're going to use the flanks, and it, it forced them out wide a lot. Um, and just by doing that, that's that's a li- that tactic Liverpool have used over the years against Manchester City, forcing them out wide if they want to build. Um, and I think it would be interesting if Liverpool have to face that this weekend, because obviously we have Tenzing and Rand as, as a solution there. Salah plays out wide, Robertson can progress to play. So, but just generally, I think very provinces from. From how Gerard's essentially blocked the centre and, and forced opponents to build out wide. Yeah, and it, well, it needed to be done, didn't it? Because he was he was shaping goals for fun. Um, yeah, he needed to make them more compact, um, and that's the best way of doing it. I agree. I think this week is going to be a little bit uh, a little bit more challenging because obviously you show him 
you're showing the opposition the pool in this case out wide and that's quite often where where the danger men are but then Liverpool is multifaceted, aren't they, in, in terms of the threat? You know, if you if you try to maybe show them inside and, you know, look to force mistakes through the middle, you know, turnovers through the middle, you, you, you're looking at players like Thiago to try and d- d- dispossess, uh, which isn't which isn't ideal, really. Um, so I guess that's a headache for him to deal with. Uh, I'm not sure how he approaches it. I get you you probably do maintain still trying to keep keep Liverpool out wide because um, obviously the wide areas are the furthest away from goal but you've just got to defend really well when those balls come into the box uh, or come through those areas whether you know you're going to see like if it's I don't know Jota coming in dropping shorts or those rotations that we've become accustomed to out wide um, the Villa players are going to have to be really switched on for that and it's, it definitely won't be an easy task Yeah just looking a little bit deeper into the, the numbers that Gerard's team have posted on the defensive side of the game so as a consequence of forcing Brighton out wide in the first game that Gerard took charge, Brighton posted more crosses than in any of their Premier League games this season. And Villa faced more crosses than in any of their Premier League games all season. So, again, obviously a product of Gerard's defensive game. And in terms of Manchester City, although they did win 2-1, and obviously Bernardo Silva scored a very, very good goal, City posted an XG of 0.9 attack. Now, all season, that's the lowest XG City have posted in any game. Um, against Liverpool, they posted 1.2. Against Chelsea, they posted 1.7. 1, 1. 1.6 against PSG. 2 against Manchester United. So, Villa kept them to 0.9. So, I think in this game, against Villa on the weekend... The, the emphasis for Liverpool has to be on scoring essentially because I don't I don't think Liverpool will suffer too much in defence, but I think breaking Villa down could be a challenge. It could be similar to Wolves, but but even trickier. I think um, I do think Gerard will try to offer something on a break, and I think Oli Watkins is probably the player Liverpool have to take care of. When the year is also picked up in a little bit of form, but. Specifically in defence, Liverpool's attack is going to have to be, you know, really fluid and really free flowing to to disrupt Villa's really compact central shape, which which Gerard seems to be um, focusing on. Yeah, I mean they do have a lot of threat in it on the break, don't they? You know, you've touched on a couple of names there. You think of Bailey as well. Um, I think he he did play against City, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, there is a lot of threat on the counter and it, we, we probably expect that it is going to be a case of them sitting in. I mean, although the, we've seen four or five games that we use as a sample now, the the, the, the best kind of uh, idea we can get of what's going to happen in this game is looking at uh, that fixture that they had against, against City because, you know, obviously City and Liverpool are quite similar in terms of dominance and they have 36% possession. Um, happy to quite to sit in and then just try and try and break uh, on the counter, and especially with it being at Anfield, expect the same. So the good thing is that from hold on, just quickly, just from their point of view, I was going to say they've got good profiles who can who, who can counter. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Yeah, I was just going to say the one the one thing about sitting in that Gerard seems to have struck up a nice balance with. 
I think a lot of coaches, when they sit in like that, they almost forget to attack. <laughs> and they kind of adopt the counter-attacking approach without the counter-attacking. Um, and it's just kind of a, a bit like Wolves. That's exactly what Wolves did. I think Gerard, whenever he spoke, and when I've watched his teams, ranges and things like that, he, he gets a nice balance there where, where it comes to, you know, keeping compact, restricting shots, sitting in a compact block, but also making sure you offer a threat as well. Mm. Um, and I think if I had to compare him to a team, they reminded me a little bit of, if you remember Nuno's Wolves, when they first got promoted, I think they picked up a few scalps. Oh, I think they beat Manchester City. Um, a few top teams struggled against mm. Wolves early on under Nuno. Obviously, Gerard plays a different system and things like that, but I think in general, the approach when you are facing a stronger team, this team does sit in, they sit in a block, but they do counter you. They, they do offer a threat. And I think that's generally a positive that I've found when I've watched Gerard's teams. Yeah, that's, you know, I think it's a it's a crucial balance, I think, to strike, especially if you want a top job at the, in, in, in the near future. You have to offer some form of threat. Um, and whenever he's spoken in the past about the, the coaching influences he's had on his career, referencing Benitez and things, he, I remember him saying about Benitez, he's trying to keep the elements of Benitez, but offer a bit more in attack, basically. Yeah, he could, he could do with doing that now, Benitez. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, I, I mean, in in terms of in terms of the, the players that we just touched on, the ones who you know we're talking about the potential threats. Even then, they do offer that. Is there anyone in of them? So your Watkins, you know, your Baileys, maybe throw in your begins. Is there anyone there that you actually think could cause Liverpool problems? Um, well, thankfully, Bailey's injured for this game. So oh, is he? Oh, okay. Yeah, he won't be playing. Uh, I think the last game, I think he played a front three of Watkins, um, Jacob Ramsey, who's the centre mid, and Buendia. Um, Matty Cash has been very involved in their attacks, just arriving late into the box, a bit like Chilwell does for Chelsea. But whether he'll be that advanced when he's up against Sadio Mane, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, McGinn's a bit of an all-action player, but I think my 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 biggest my two biggest threats are A, Oli Watkins, and B, set-pieces. I think they've scored a fair few from set-pieces this season. In fact, yet they have to Liverpool are top in the Premier League so far with eight goals from set-pieces. And Villa second on seven, and obviously they've had they've had twenty one more, uh, twenty one fewer shots than Liverpool from set pieces. They obviously take fewer corners because they see less mm-hmm. of the ball up on that that end of the field. And I think I think they've got a lad who, who does it for them. I think it's Austin McPhee is the coach. Yeah, they re- retained them, didn't they? Even though Smith obviously moved on. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, they've done a few interesting things from set pieces. Um, I think they scored one against Leicester. Leicester have obviously shipped plenty from them. Mm. Um, SE Concert, I think it was. In fact, they might have scored both from both of their goals against Leicester. So those two departments Liverpool have to cater for, and I think if they do, it will be all about can you break down Gerard's block? And if Liverpool can, I think if any if any team can in the Premier League, it's probably Liverpool, isn't it? Mm, um, but I think just rolling it back to what I mentioned before about. You know him offering a threat while retaining defensive balance and how that might relate to a, a job in the future. We, we obviously have to talk about Klopp 2024 
how much of a possibility is it? Because remember a few years back, I spoke to you about this, and you did say he needed a stepping stone in between. Hmm. I suppose this this now, in a way, could be could be interpreted as that. Yeah, definitely. I think this is the ideal one, really, um, because he's come into the Premier League. Uh, he's he's went in with a big club, okay. You know, Villa aren't as big as Liverpool, but they they are a, a definitely a big name, aren't they? You know, a, a big club, and um, they kind of fell on hard times a little bit, uh, struggling under Smith. If he was to go in there now and turn them from kind of lower mid table uh, to consistent kind of top eight sides, and maybe deliver some sort of domestic success as well, a trophy or something, then that would be an absolute perfect audition. Obviously, it'd be interesting to see if it, how, how his football develops at Villa, you know, once he get, kind of gets his feet under the table properly, whether we see more of a, what we saw that uh, at Rangers, um, which was this more dominant side, dominant, um, dominant sides, and, or whether that was as a consequence of being at Rangers and Bishop being so much better uh, than, well, than, he, than he the did, He did say, as a this is a direct quote, he did say, "We will become a possession-based team." Oh, they they were his then. exact words. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if he if he manages that transition because it's easier said than done. Yeah, it's hard to implement in the Premier League, isn't it? Because uh, you could dominate, you know, a Norwich, a Burnley, you know, Newcastle, something like that. But then you might have Liverpool, City, Chelsea back to back. And you're not going to be dominating there, are you? So it's it, it's it's really hard to to kind of uh, implement a philosophy. I guess you, I guess what the the best example you probably look at in terms of trying to do that when not being a very top side is is probably Potter uh, Brighton, isn't it? Yeah, he's probably the best example actually. Mm. Now they, they were playing totally different band of football under Chris Hutton, and a few teams have tried to make that transition in recent years and just got relegated. Um, mm. I think Stoke tried it a while back. Palace tried it with. Frank the Bauer and absolutely mm. <laughs> tanked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no goals. I think in, in eight games or something. And yeah. then he got sacked. And he went to So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. But I do like to think that on this show we flagged him quite a while ago now as a, a real prospect managerial uh, as a, as a coach. Like, um, and I think he's going down that route still. He's still on an upward trajectory, and I think. In a way, gradually, the potential replacements for Klopp, if he does leave in 2024, they're dropping a little bit, I think. Because one player we've mentioned, uh, one coach we've mentioned on the show a few times is Jesse Marsh. Mm. And he's just been sacked. Mm. Uh, he obviously got the job at RB Leipzig over the summer. Uh, did well at Salzburg. Went to Leipzig. And by all accounts, kind of tried to reverse their possession development under Nagelsmann back towards a fast counter-attacking early Liverpool type style and apparently it didn't really work um, and as I said he's been sacked but he was on a trajectory that I thought to myself potentially Liverpool in three years but it doesn't look the case anymore um, so as a result of that and just if you look at the landscape and things like that, Pochettino might end up at United, Ten Hag might end up at United or Bayern by the time 2024 comes around. I'm not sure what the landscape will look like in 2024. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Another thing as well um, 
that we never seem to touch on when we talk about them is we've obviously talked about uh, pet lenders, haven't we? As maybe, you know, someone who could kind of step up. Um, but I had I completely missed when he left Liverpool uh, yeah. to go managing in the Netherlands and then got sacked, didn't he? And I think there was other things in there, but uh, there was other factors to that. Uh, but I don't know, that muddies the water ever so slightly for me, uh, showing that that step up isn't that easy. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think with, with Linders, I'm a bit torn because I look at him and I think he is a coach through and through. Yeah. An elite one at that. Yeah. Yeah. But what I mean by that is Klopp isn't so much a coach anymore. Klopp's kind of like that figure, you know, that Ferguson type figure. F- Ferguson never used to take the training sessions at United. People would do it for him. And Klopp allows Linders a lot of freedom to take all the sessions and that. And Klopp just kind of like is that governing figure above everyone who makes the decisions and is the face and things like that. If Linders was to replace Klopp, he would be he would dedicate less time to what he loves. Which is coaching, I assume. Anyway, I mean, you can obviously still get a cross between the two. Guardiola, I suppose, is a bit of a cross between the two. Mm. Arteta is a bit of a cross between the two. So, it is doable. Don't get me wrong. And I will be honest. I think gradually with time, I am thinking more and more. They're gonna just give it to Linders. They're gonna just give it to Linders. It's it's gradually becoming my opinion, really, simply because of how Liverpool have, have tackled this sort of thing in the past. FSG in particular, they do like the internal, you know. Um, contingency plan type thing. If you look at how it, what's happening with Edwards getting replaced by Julian Ward, the next in line type thing, mm. um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that surprised if if FSG before anything else said to Linders, "Do you want to keep this identity going?" Um, and then then obviously it'll be on Linders, which will be a risk. But I do think it's you know after being at Liverpool for over a decade, I think it'll be at the time. Because Liverpool have, have really, you know, honed in on this intensity as our identity type thing. But if you go and get a coach who's even slightly different and he wants to adopt different formations and stuff like that, it does it does massively impact the direction that you change. And I think if you keep Linders, it does keep you on the same path that you've been really refining for years. Hmm. I... Uh... I think the thing that we said about the, what the environment will be like at that period, I think uh, it would be interesting to see what the decision would be made if if it felt like Gerard was in a position where he, he could come on board, uh, but the club were maybe leaning towards Linders because I feel like Gerard would be the obvious popular choice uh, and whether then that would kind of have Linders swimming against the tide a little bit. No, we did get step up. Um I mean, we're guessing, aren't we? It's a few well, years away, yeah. But. Well, one of the reasons I think Gerard has a shot at it is Gerard is more in that clock mould of being letting others do the coaching. And he's kind of the figure, the leader, you know, who just kind of oversees it. And I think if everything that Liverpool was to remain the same, but Gerard was to replace Klopp, I don't think the change would be that drastic because he, he would offer us, he would like to do similar things to Klopp. Linders would be allowed to do exactly what he's been doing. You know all that, so it's it's one for the future anyway. But just mm-hmm. rolling it back to the Villa game, verdict. What are we saying? Yeah, I still expect a win, but I do expect this to want to be a little bit tougher. I'll, I'm going to go two one. 
I think Liverpool will keep a clean sheet, but I don't think the floodgates will open. Um, unless Liverpool's finishing gets, you know, red hot. So I think Liverpool will score one or two. So I, I think one or two nil in this one. The fact that Anfield is pushing me towards two nil, but it will be interesting to see how Liverpool break down Gerard's defensive game because it seems to be very, very good. It seems to be very disciplined, very tight, narrow, compact, all of, all the good stuff basically. Mm. So that's one to look out for when when um, the two teams take to the field. But Dave, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, mate. Cheers, everyone. And we'll be back next week to review Liverpool's game with Villa, to review the Champions League draw, and to look ahead to, I think, it is Newcastle. So do join us then, and uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.